0: Well, hey, everybody, how we doing? It is good to see you. My name's Eric, and I want to thank uh, Pastor Jonathan for leading us through our in-between series. I know it's been super helpful for me, and I think it's probably been super helpful for you too. So my favorite day in the sixth grade was field day. Did anybody ever have field day? And uh, when you were in middle school, loved field day. And uh, it was fun because we would all compete against one another and we'd have these crazy races and I was this chubby sixth grader, so I wasn't really good at anything, uh, but I just loved to be a part of it and, uh, and claim prizes with my friends that were better than me. And uh, so, so field day was a fun day and uh, Miss Leslie was my homeroom teacher. So we were the Leslie's Lions, and we were proud. We were not any good, but we were proud because we were Lions, and that just sounded intimidating, and uh, we just loved that name. So Field Day came around, and and, and the opportunity to sign up for what we were going to race in or participate in for Field Day came open. Well, without me really even thinking about it, there was an open slot next to the 220-yard dash, And I went, well, hey, that sounds easy enough. I don't really know what the 220 yard dash is, but hey, I can do that. I can do that, y'all. See where this is going, right? So, uh, so I was so excited. I would go home every night and I would practice on my street and I would run and and uh, try to get some new shoes that could really help me. And and uh, it was just hey, the the two weeks leading up to field day, I had built myself. I, y'all, I had some tragic kind confidence. This chubby little sixth grader was going to be able to run two hundred twenty yard. 220 yards. That's two football fields and, two, and 20 more yards. I think at that point in my life, I'd only run about 50 yards. So you could tell this was going to be a stretch for me. So, But I built it up in my mind. I was so excited. We were going to do this. And, and uh, we get to race day and I knew it was going to be bad when the guy that I was racing was about two feet taller than me. So we get up to the, to the starting line and the quintessential gym teacher, he's standing right there with a the gun. I think it was loaded. And so we're, we're standing there and it's bang, you know, and it and, and scares me to death. Like I'm a little like taken off a little bit. Brad didn't scare him at all. Brad took off up the field. And like seven seconds into this, I knew it was over, and nothing good was going to happen out of this. So much like probably you, when you when you lose a race that bad, your mind tends to go to different places when you're running. I don't know if you ever felt this way before, but it's no longer a race, and now it's just you running around the track. And so I'm running around the track, and I'm thinking all kinds of thoughts, like. Man, cut the grass. Hillcrest Middle School, why is the grass so tall? You know, is there going to be ice cream? Like, you know, when it, when I get done with this, me and my chubby self, I want some ice cream. And uh, and I was thinking, is Miss Leslie going to be able to look me in the eye when this is over? What are my friends going to say? What's that in the sky? Is that flying in the sky? A car backfires. What is happening? I mean, your mind's everywhere finally get around to the end of the race. And it was so embarrassing because I lost so bad. And I had built this up so big in my mind. And I was so excited about it. I thought I was going to do really good, but it was really, really horrible. Here's what I learned about field day that day. Number one, your teacher and friends don't know what to say when you get beat that bad. (laughs) they just don't miss Leslie, bless her heart. She couldn't look me in the eye. She just, I'm so sorry. You you know, don't ever do that again Eric. You know, that guy like field day, teacher and friends just don't know what to say. Second of all, Kmart running shoes don't make you faster. Kmart running shoes do not make you faster. They did make me faster and I was pretty disappointed by that. And third, I thought I would be better than I actually was. And uh, I think if we're all honest, a lot of us probably see ourselves in, a, in, a, in life and where we go, yeah, I thought I, was, I would be better than I actually am. I thought my marriage would be better than it actually is. I thought my, um, my career and vocation will be better than it actually is. I thought my friendships would be better than I thought my children would be. I thought my husband would be. I thought my wife would be. I thought my parents would be. I thought all this stuff would be something that it's not. And now I'm living in the reality of that. And I don't know about you, but we kind of feel this in our life. We're here, but we wanna be here. We're here in our career, in our relationships, in our family, but we really wanna be here. And we're not quite sure what'll get us from here to here, but here's what we feel. Here's the things we feel when we're here and we wanna be here. We feel unmet expectations. There's probably somewhere in your life you've got an unmet expectation because you were you thinking to yourself, I didn't meet my own expectation and I'm discouraged, I'm disappointed in myself because I thought I would have done something different and I didn't live up to my own expectations. For some of us, it's other people's expectations. Now, it's healthy for people to have expectations of us. They need to be able to depend on us, depend on you, depend on me. But what if they're Unreasonable. Unreasonable expectations feels like a weight in our life that none of us like. Past failures. Well, I had this relationship one time and he treated me that way, so does that mean every guy I ever date is gonna treat me the same way? You know, sometimes it's having the courage to move on and trusting God and recognizing, you know, we gotta move through these past failures. We can't let them hold us back, let God take us where he wants us to go. Jesus has said enough about worry that can hold us back, we feel that comparison. Well, her husband is, well, you know, his wife is, well, his paycheck is, well, her paycheck is, his, her children are, his children, you know, his job, her job, their vacations, and we start comparing. I don't know if you've ever done that before, comparison. We fill the gap with comparison and then finally impatience. I don't have what I want. So now I'm going to press in even further and faster to get what I want because I'm here, but I really want to be here and I'm just impatient. Now I'm just going to turn up the speed. I'm going to try to get there faster. Here's what I know about God. And here's where we're going today in this message is that God wants to give us a framework for how to think. And here's what I know about me and here's what I know about you. When you and I have a healthy framework for how to think about our life and think about uh, situations in our life, we make better decisions. When we don't have a healthy framework for how to think about something, it's harder and harder and more difficult to make that decision. So the framework that God has given for us is an analogy. And he said, guys, I want your race. I want you to think about your life as a race. Here we go. Our life is compared to running a race. This is what the Bible says. This is what God wants us to know. He says, I want you to think about your life as if you are running a race. There's a start to a race. There's a finish to a race. There's a halfway point. There's injuries in a race. There's training that has to be done in a race. There's You know, all kinds of other things happening in a race, which I really can't speak with a whole lot of authority because y'all have heard my example. But our life is compared to a race. And that's what God wants us to know. So here's where we're going. The writer of Hebrews... Um, he is. Uh, this book was written 64 A.D. and it was written to people who had become Christians, but they had become Christians out of a Jewish background, and they were reverting. They were starting to revert back to the Judaic system that they had been abiding by before they came to Christ. And the writer is going, no, 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 no! Don't do that. Christ is superior. You don't have to work for your salvation. You don't have to do all of these 615 laws. And hopefully, God's uh, you know happy with. With you. You don't have to do that. Christ paid for it. It's free. God has forgiven you and Christ is superior. And this is where he goes and talks about the race that we're running. Here we go. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, and you may be thinking, where? Where are those witnesses? I don't see witnesses. The witnesses are people that have, they were Christ followers, they are passed on. Y'all, they are all of our witnesses right now to the race that we are running in our life. The other thing is, we're witnesses to each other's race. For this season, this time in history, all of our races are synced up together and we're running together We have individual races and we have a collective race that we are all running together. And we have this cloud of witnesses that are watching uh, us to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And one of the analogies I I had on this is um, about three weeks ago, I'll show you a picture right here. About three weeks ago, my son Hudson, he's 25, he decided that, uh, or actually, you know, eight months ago, he decided, Dad, I wanna hike the Appalachian Trail. And I don't know if you guys know what the Appalachian Trail is, but the trail is essentially goes from just north of Atlanta all the way up to Maine, through all the national forests that are on the East Coast. And so he sent me this the other day, and this is in the Nantihala, uh National Forest. And, but he also said, hey, I just want to make sure you're aware. There's some things I had to get rid of out of my pack because it's about 40 pounds that I hike with every day, and I do about 10 to 12 miles a day. And, uh, and, and he said, but I had to get rid of some stuff because it was weighing me down. Here's the list of things that he, that he sent me that he got rid of. One is a bulky knife. I hope he has another knife, but the bulky knife was gone. A journal, a tripod. I cut my towel in half. I thought that was kind of funny. Two two pairs of liner socks, a coffee press and a filter, bulky bug spray, sunscreen, and half of my first aid kit. And I hope his mom's not listening right now. So, So, but but that's where even as a hiker, you recognize for you to achieve your goal, you gotta get rid of some stuff in the pack. It's weighing you down. Y'all for us as Christ followers, you know what our weights are? Our pessimism. Oh, life's never gonna change. Lack of forgiveness, anger, frustration, insecurities that drive our behavior. All of these are weights that we hold on to. And for some reason, they are slowing us down. And sin, the Hebrew writer goes on to say, sin slows you down. And for us, let's just be honest. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But if we're not careful, it will trip us up. Up and he says, Listen, I want you to get rid of that because it will easily trip you up. And this is what he says: he says, Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. God has set a race before you. God has set a race before you. God has set a race before you. We all have our individual races that God has given to us. They're our race. They are unique to us. Now, collectively, we're running together as well but God has given you a race. And this is what he says. I want you to run it with endurance. Notice he he says, I don't want you to run it as fast as you can because that's what you would do in a race, right? He says, no, I want you to run it with endurance because life is tough. And your competition, guess what? It's not the person sitting next to you. Your competition is you. Your competition is becoming more like Jesus. Years ago, I remember thinking when I became a Christian, God was going to make me a religious nut. <laughs> I remember thinking, God, please don't make me a nut. I don't want to be a religious nut. And, uh, and I remember him speaking to me one day saying, Eric, listen, listen, cal- would you calm down? Shh. And that's the way God talks to me. <laughs> he says, he said, now, listen, you know what it means to follow me? it means that the holy spirit has more control over your life. And you know what the qualities of the holy spirit are? No. Well, go read Galatians 5:22. Okay, I did. Here's what it said. For the fruit of the spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Does that sound like qualities you would like in your life? Yes, that does. Okay. That's what it means to follow me. And so when he says run with endurance, he said, life's going to be tough. I want to fill you with me. But here's the definition of endurance. Here we go. Endurance is this. It's the power to endure a difficult process or situation without giving way. You could just watch the news right now and see endurance at work and some some folks right now, is the power to endure a difficult process or situation without giving way. Endurance, y'all, is what helps us when we find ourselves in seasons when we're in between. We're not where we want to be, but we're not going to give up. We're going to endure this season. It feels like a difficult process or the situation, but we're not going to give way. I'm going to make a decision to endure. It starts with that. And number two, I let God build my pain tolerance through the things he takes me through so that I become tougher. So that I become tougher the long that I walk, the longer that I walk with Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And then we go on to to see the scripture. We do this, we, we, we uh, build our endurance by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy, listen to this, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. You can, do, you can endure when you've got joy, right? He endured the cross. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. And what is he saying? He says, you know what? There's times in our life when we're going to become weary and we're going to want to give up because life's going to get hard. Things are going to happen in our life. We're not going to be able to understand or explain. And it's going to feel that God is not close anymore. And we're going to want to give up. And Jesus felt that he felt that and he endured. So here's the big idea. That, that I wanna leave you with. and that This is what I feel like God wants us to do. We build endurance for our race by focusing on Jesus and not the race. I'm gonna say that again. We build endurance for our race by focusing on Jesus and not the race. Here's what it means to focus on the race. To focus on the race is we compare our race with other people's race. Have you ever done that before? Gosh, they got it so easy. <laughs> man, I wish I had their life. Or, oh my gosh, I've got it so hard. Man, I wish I could, you know, have you, have you ever looked, you ever looked across the track and seen somebody else running in such a way, living their life in such a way where it just seems like it's just not fair. It's just not fair. While I'm having to deal with this and they're, they're not having to deal with that, I don't understand. And here's the problem with comparison we either become proud because we feel like we're doing better than everybody else, or we become discouraged because we're not doing as good as everybody else. And when you compare your race with other people's race, it's unfair and it's unwise because it's not apples to apples. The other thing is when you compare races, we see problems on the track, not the source of our power. Our focus is on the problems right in front of us and not the source of our power. And Jesus says, if you focus on me, here's what you're going to get. Number one, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And number two, have you ever watched somebody working out with a personal trainer? Their personal trainer is right there with them. They're not like halfway down the gym or, you know, whatever. They're right there with them. And I used to think when I first came to Christ, I used to think Jesus was standing at the end of my race, Going, come on, Eric. And I was like, you know, hey, where, Jesus, where are you? You know, I'm trying to fix my eyes on you, but I can't really. that's, That's not the picture that Jesus wants us to have. The picture he wants us to have is a personal trainer who is working with someone who is trying to build their strength, and they're saying, hey, here's the form you need to use. Here's how this machine works. Hey, when you get out on the track, here's how you want to start. You want to launch off on your right. And then, hey, when you fall, I'm going to be here to pick you up. You are not alone. That's the imagery that Jesus is saying he wants us to have of him as we are focusing on him. And he says, if we'll do that, if we'll do that, we will build our endurance for the race. Okay. <clears throat> so let's shift gears in a little bit of a hard right turn. So I've felt this in my life before. I've felt a lack of endurance. I have felt seasons in my life where I've been discouraged. I've been disappointed. And I want to share with you four things that have helped me when I feel like I'm running low on endurance and I'm trying my best to keep my eyes focused on Jesus in the in-between part or the in-between season of my life was really, really becoming, becoming difficult to manage. I wanna share with you four things that helped me. And I think the, these things can help you too. Here we go. The first one is, I wanna thank Invogue Vogue for this. Feed your mind and the rest will follow. <laughs> feed your mind. I, well, I actually have to thank 90% of En Vogue here, but feed your mind and the rest the rest will follow. Jesus said, you know, we, we depend on every word. Man does not eat, just eat bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God. We depend on God's word. So finding ways where you're reading or you're listening and you are training your mind to think about what God has to say is the only way You're going to be able to have the right perspective to move forward. Here's what I know about this, and you all heard me say this before. According to the National Science Foundation, 80% of a person's thoughts are negative, and 95% of those are repetitive. Did you hear what I said? 80% of our thoughts are negative and 95% of those are repetitive. So if you think you're going to get through life and live the kind of life that you want in Christ without feeding your mind so that the rest will follow, that's just, that's not being realistic. You have got to find ways to feed your mind. And this is the value of feeding your mind. What it does what it does is your mind, when you start feeding at God's word, your mind begins to inform your emotions. For some of us, if this is our emotions and this is our mind, we're living like this. We place a whole lot more stock in what our emotions feel than what our mind thinks. When Jesus was in the wilderness and tempted by Satan and Satan said, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, those three things. What did Jesus say every time? This is what God has said, but this is what God has said, but this is what God has said. When I'm fearful, this is what God has said. When I'm discouraged, but this is what God has said. And I'm training my mind. You are training your mind to inform these emotions, how to respond. If we don't, and Christians are bad at this. Let's just be honest, y'all. Christians are bad. emotionally reacting without thinking. Let's flip the script and let's feed our mind God's word so that it informs our emotions on how to properly respond to our lives and the people in them. That's number one. Number two, your problems will make you powerful if you let them. Your problems will make you powerful If you let them, your problems are God's way. When God was thinking a long time ago in history, how can I help my people develop spiritual strength in their life? Oh, I got a great idea. Let's give them problems. Let's give them problems. Why problems? Because when you have a problem, God has your attention. Some of the closest times to God that I have felt over the last especially a few years, but all of my life, are when I was in the most pain. There's something to that. Your frustrations become your fuel if you will use them correctly. And you begin to recognize, okay, these are things I can control. I can control how I respond. I can control what I think. I can control my actions, but I can't control what they think. I can't control what they do. And you know what? I'm not gonna worry about that because I can't control it anyway. And problems teach you that. God has our attention when we're experiencing problems. Over the last year, I've had two significant surgeries in my life. And uh, you know what it's made me feel? Anytime I find out somebody has to go to the hospital or they're dealing with some health challenge, you don't think there's a level of empathy that I feel toward that person because I've been through that there's empathy that God wants, you, God wants to give you for other people, that the only way you can, you can experience that is you're gonna have to go through something. And here's the blessing and the benefit of it. When you go through a problem at 23 and you trust God for the outcome and for what he's doing in your life and you get through it and God builds that strength, you know what happens at 27? You go through another problem And you recognize, hey, I'm going to trust God in this situation. And and, and he has promised to be with us. He's promised to meet all of our needs. And at 27, he does. And at 32, you go through a problem. And you recognize, oh my goodness, when I was 23, I experienced this. When I was 27, I experienced this. God brought me through it. Now I'm 32. You know what? God can do it again. And God begins to build confidence in you by expanding your pain tolerance because you've been through some of these things and you've proven that you can trust him. And now God is going to teach you bigger and better things, but he starts here sometimes. And by coming through them, you begin to recognize God can be trusted. And now, I mean, think about David before David went and killed Goliath. Guess who he killed before he ever met Goliath? The lion and the bear. You don't just wake up at 50 and be able to handle stuff that you've never handled before. It starts when you're 22. Sometimes it starts before that. So let God build your pain tolerance. And parents, just, just, let's just be honest, we're not perfect and we're not gonna handle all of our situations and our problems perfectly in life. But let me just say this, your children are watching how you handle problems. Problems. And if you are losing your mind, if you are flying off the deep end, if you are yelling and screaming and acting like you are a victim and life isn't fair, guess what your children are gonna grow up thinking? If I have a problem, life's not fair. And that's not true. The fact that you have a problem means you're human. And this is God's way of developing you and me. So let God do his work work, or you want to to go through the same thing until you learn it. Because that's what I've learned about God for me. Okay. Number three, be vulnerable with someone you trust, even if you need to pay them. (laughs) Be vulnerable with someone you trust, even if you need to pay them. For some reason, when it comes to our mental and spiritual health, we think it's free. And if you go to a doctor, guess what? You're going to expect the doctor's going to expect you to pay him. You're going to expect to pay the doctor. You go get your car fixed. You know, Valvoline's like, hey, th- hey, thanks for coming. It's free. You know, go in. Yeah. No. When you need help, expect to pay for it. Now, I'm not saying God can't bring wonderful people in your life, in my life, who we don't have to pay. That can. But th- this is the value of counselors, mentors, and coaches in our life because none of us have life altogether. None of us do. And we need people that we trust. And let me just, I I love you and I'm your friend. Let me let me just be honest with you. There are some people you should not cry in front of. There are some people you should not tell your secrets to. Because they will use it as leverage. You can't trust everybody, even if they're a Christian. You need to be, you need to find somebody that you can trust even if you need to pay them. Because people like this are able to help us with blind spots. All of us have them. All of us have behaviors and things that we say and do that we have no idea that we're doing them. And this coach or counselor or mentor can say, hey, can I just tell you something that, like when you act toward your wife like that, do you mean to do that? I didn't even know I was doing it. It's a blind spot. You didn't know that you were doing it. We need people in our life to hold up mirrors to help us see what's going on so that we can adjust and fix and love and change. So be vulnerable with someone you trust, even if you need to pay them. Your race is going to be tough. Just recognize that. And last. Practice the law of five swings. I love John Maxwell and he made this popular years ago, but practice the law of five swings. What's helped me in my life when there have been times that I've needed endurance because I was discouraged and I was frustrated and I wasn't sensing movement in my life like I wanted to. I began to notice that there are certain disciplines I could do every day that helped me stay in the game. Maybe it was just 20 minutes of exercise. Maybe it was 10 minutes of just listening to God's word and resetting my mind. Maybe it was taking a gratitude walk for 15 minutes around our property, thanking God for all the people in my life. You know what happens when that happens? The cortisol in your brain goes down, the oxytocin goes up, and you feel great right? What are some other practices that help you be consistent? The law of five swings says, if you have a tree in your backyard and you don't want it anymore, grab an ax and go out and take five swings at the tree. On Monday, go out and take five swings at the tree. On Tuesday, go out and take five swings at the tree. On Wednesday, go out and take five swings at the tree. On Thursday, five swings. Friday, five swings. Saturday, five swings. Guess what? The tree is going to come down at some point. And when I notice, when I put practices in my life that help me build my routine to build my endurance back up, guess what? I don't feel a whole lot different in a week, maybe two weeks three weeks, but man, about that fourth week, somebody will go, your attitude's different. You seem in a much healthier place. What are you doing? Or your, your approach is different, or you seem more patient, or you seem in a better headspace. or you seem in a good place. What's going on? And I don't get it right every time, but I'll recognize, hey, there are just some habits. There are five swings that I'll try to do every day at some personal discipline to help me be consistent. And we all need this routine. We all need to take five swings at something that we can do every day to help you show up so that you are your best in life. This builds endurance. It just builds endurance. So I'm gonna go back to that slide we had at the very beginning. Many of us came into this series and many of us came into this day today thinking, I'm here. I don't really wanna be here, but I'm here in a relationship. I'm here in a situation. I'm here in a job. I'm here and I'm not real happy with the way my life is going, but I wanna be here. I wanna be here. And Jesus said, the way you go from here to here is fixing your eyes on Jesus and allowing him to build endurance in you by feeding your mind, seeing your problems as God's way of training you, being vulnerable with a trusted friend and creating some routine in your life. And that will carry you through the in-between. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for my friends that are watching online and in this room. God, these are amazing people that, Lord, they've got all kinds of things going on in their life. Many of them find themselves in situations where they're in between and there's frustration. And I pray, God, today that of all that was said, take one thing and drive it deep into their heart and help them to walk away and practice just one new thing different this week so that they can fix their eyes on you and build endurance for the race that you've called them to run. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.